Hello and thank you for tuning into Scale Up Africa's Ignite Insights. My name is Olivia. And I'm Amma and we're going to be covering a whole lot in terms of corporate innovation, entrepreneurship and engagement with our community of top African leaders and entrepreneurs and investors throughout the series. Absolutely. So tune in, subscribe and follow us for the next couple of months when we share all these great insights with you. So Gary Stewart is, um, he used to work with Teleponica's flagship um, accelerator, Waira, in the UK for about five mm-hmm. years, right, Gary? Yeah, five years in the UK. That's yeah, right. yeah. And, okay. and Gary and I met in uh, Piccadilly, in his office in Piccadilly a few years ago, and we were talking about oh, okay. entrepreneurship uh, matters and how Waira has done so amazingly well as a conduit between big business and small business. Um, so I, it's great to have you both here to have a conversation about how we as Scale Up Africa, but of course the broader ecosystem um, in the global south in particular, can connect big business with small businesses to create the growth and the jobs that we desperately need in the region. So I wanted you guys to just, um, you know, talk about your experiences, your respective experiences um, as, you know, corporation-led innovation partners for the entrepreneurship ecosystem and, and, and how, you know, how important that particular aspect is in, in terms of the entrepreneurship growth conversation that we're, we're trying to have. The agri space, but but generally, you know, on the, on the scene, how has that been? For well, you? I mean, for starters, you know, uh, as you know, uh, Cosmos is, uh, you know, an ENP company. You know, we are pretty much uh, uh, doing so much work in the oil space. But it was uh, when I was transitioning from my previous job at IBM into uh, Cosmos is when uh, the idea of trying to do something that will really help the country outside of our core competency, which is oil and gas. And uh, today, our major productions are in Ghana, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and then Equatorial Guinea. And we're also doing a major, you know, uh, oil, you know, gas infrastructure work in uh, Mauritania and Senegal. So those are the places where government, you know, Cosmos is predominantly is. But it was uh, back in uh, 2015 when I joined and then we're brainstorming, trying to figure out what we can do with the teaming youth that we have in the country and how we can really energize them and help them do something productive. Because uh, all of us, you know, believe strongly that uh, we are not immune from the Arab Spring. And if we watch our youth to just you know, sit idle and not getting jobs, not being able to do anything, eventually it will have a negative impact on all of us. And hence, we wanted to do something. So we came up with Cosmos Innovation Center. And that is whereby we're trying to figure out how do we use innovation to create and apply you know, commercial solutions uh, to some of uh, Ghana's you know, uh, key developmental challenges. And we hone in on agriculture because agriculture had been the mainstay of the country. And uh, it used to be the lion's share of the uh, <clears throat> GDP. And we watch it drop all the way down to low teens. And now we're trying to bring it back up again. Uh, why, you know, Cosmos Innovation Center is considering agriculture, we feel that maybe at some point in future, we might pivot to other areas. But uh, we decided the agriculture because as I said, being the mainstay, we figured out and said, uh, why do we look, how do we look at the whole value chain of our grid and use technology innovation to optimize something or to solve a problem? 
And that's when we came with the agri, you know, uh, tech challenge, you know, the incubator piece, and then the booster program, and then the fellowship. Those are the four components of it. And uh, to date, uh, we have uh, created about 16 solid companies today. We have trained about 500 entrepreneurs, and uh, they have actually touched about well over 23,000, you know, uh, smallholder farmers uh, over the period. And uh, we seem to have really touched a nerve. And then I think, you know, the response has been excellent. Uh, it's helped us, you know, even though, as I said, it's on a gas company, uh, we've got a lot of mileage out of uh, doing, you know, what we do in the Cosmos Innovation Center. And then the fellowship uh, program and then the uh, booster program as well is whereby we look at existing entities and how we can help them scale. Yeah. Because, you know, when I look at your program and, and you know, how, you know, scale up and all of that, I think that is where we really need the focus. So you are, honestly, you are just hitting the nail right on the head right there. Because right. if we can scale up, if we can scale up all these businesses, I think it will solve many, many, many of the challenges and problems uh, that we have. And then scaling up these businesses definitely uh, implies that uh, how do you create mentorship program to allow them to uh, get the right exposure and then uh, be, to be able to experience, you know, some stuff that they have not been paying attention to. Mm -hmm. uh, you also mentioned in, a, you know, uh, in our discussion before this that, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of funding out there today, but how do we prepare these people to be able to touch and create an environment where it will be attractive for them to be able to tap on these, you know, funding to be able to scale up their businesses. So all these are things that we are doing in the Cosmos Innovation Center space. And uh, it seems to be, uh, you know, uh, getting good traction. And, and hence, we're going to continue for a while. So I'll pause here and then uh, maybe give uh, Gary a chance to uh, also uh, uh, make Thanks his so points much. and we can come Thanks back. Thanks so much, Joe. So Gary, Telefonica, Waira, you guys had major, major successes. You could talk about the numbers shortly, but, um, you know, it really, I, I was really inspired by the work you were doing uh, while you were at Waira. I know you've moved on to, to become an entrepreneur yourself since then. Um, but, you know, just showcasing how, um, you know, plugging in big business um, and small, bridging the gap between big business and small business has such a major impact. Maybe you can give us a bit of background about, you know, the impact of Waira. Yeah, no, so I think that, um, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I think that in terms of Telefonica, I guess I came to it in a kind of very circuitous route because I never expected to work for a large corporate. You know, my background is um, went to Yale College, Yale Law School, so became a lawyer. Did that for about five years doing IPOs, M&A, and all that kind of stuff. Stumbled into entrepreneurship when I was in Spain, raised $4 million for my company, eventually sold it. But... Um, in 2010, I kind of was trying to figure out if I was going to go back to the U.S. or maybe stay in Spain. And then a friend said to me, go teach at a business school called IEE Business School. He was the dean there, did that, and Telefonica found me. And I remember when they came, they were like, you know, Gary, we're interested in, in working with you. We're going to launch this thing called Waira. I was potentially going to be employee number two. Are you interested? And I was like, not at all. Not at all interested in working with large corporates. Not at all kind of being in that environment. To me, it felt like death or hell or maybe some right. combination. Um, <laughs> But then a friend of mine was like, well, you know, they have a lot of money, Gary. You should really take this a bit more seriously. Um, and then I think that was where it kind of kind of changed in my head. I was like, you know, if you can actually use the power of a large corporate to add a lot of value to startups, um, then 
it can be transformative, right? And I think that right. there are two things that corporate, that startups need more than anything else. Money, well, it's one thing, money, right? Um, and the question is, is the money going to come in the form of revenue or is the money going to come in the form of investment until you can generate your own revenue, exactly. right? Um, and a large corporate can potentially help you with both, um, particularly if you're talking about a B2B company that usually finds it very difficult to access a large corporate, you know, large corporates are very difficult. That's the thing I learned the most, I think, all the different silos and all of the politics and kind of, it might be even difficult for a person who works in the organization to be able to navigate it. But if you're an outsider, a startup, and you don't have the resources, it's going to be even more difficult. So I think that was where kind of Wire really added value to the startup ecosystem. There are lots of other places to kind of get money. Um, there may even be people who have scaled businesses uh, themselves. And I usually think that kind of like operators, investors, are, those are usually like my favorite sorts of investors to kind of work with. Uh, but there's certain kind of things that only a corporate can do. And we saw a lot of like uh, investors coming to us and saying even, you know, really top investors, like let's say a Sequoia, would come and say, okay, I have this company. I think that if they can kind of get access to your 350 million customers, they can really get to the next level. Um, so for a lot of companies, the best way to scale, particularly in the B2B space, is like by unlocking a partnership with a large corporate. And even in the B2C space, you know, when we were in Spain, I was surprised WhatsApp at the beginning, before they were acquired by Facebook, was actually trying to speak to Telefonica because there was a huge overlap of the markets where they were dominant or you know growing and where Telefonica was present to try and see if we can kind of do a deal. Foursquare, which I think was still around at the time, you know, we they were also trying to do a deal with that. Spotify when they were trying to launch in um, Spain and Latin America reached a deal. They actually did reach a deal with uh, Telefonica. Um, and even Apple kind of launched in the UK by creating a deal with O2. You know, so a lot of times go to market strategies and markets where there's a big corporate that already has a huge concentration of customers that would be relevant to you. If you can strike, strike the right deal, that's going to be a much more effective go-to-market strategy than trying to do it by yourself. And I think that's where programs like Waira that kind of serve as that kind of translation service, uh, because a lot of times corporates and entrepreneurs speak two different languages yeah. um, and there, there needs to be that translation service as well as in providing a gateway or path towards kind of eventually doing a pilot and then hopefully, and this is the holy grail, um, a, a real agreement, a kind of multi-million dollar agreement. Um, I think that uh, a lot of times that's made a lot easier if you have someone on the inside and that yeah. was essentially the role that we played. Like a champion. Well, like a more than champion. a champion because the thing is like, you know, one of the things that we saw is that like you can have a champion, but a champion has a day job and a champion is being judged by different KPIs um, that usually have nothing to do with your success. So in that case, it's like a favor. I think that where we really add a difference is that like this was our full time job. We were measured by the number of startups that did deals with Telefonica and the size of the deals done with okay. Telefonica. Okay. So that was the focus. So the KPIs were built into the, the, the whole structure of the thing. With the corporate. Yeah, we, we had two KPIs. Um, you know, one was how much money the startups raised because, you know, Telefonica wanted to see that the companies were actually companies that but for us would still be successful. Um, and then also how much business were they doing with Telefonica right. to kind of show that eventually they could move the needle. Because the difficult bit with a large corporate is I think Telefonica was doing like 50 billion a year, 50 billion euros a year in revenue for this to be worth their while over time it needs to be a company that can actually generate, you know, eight figures in terms of revenue or, or value for Telefonica over time. If they're making Telefonica an extra million dollars a year, no one really cares. Sure. Too small, too small. So, Joe Mensah, 
How do you replicate that in, in, in the continent, in Ghana? How do we replicate that kind of, because it's not really taken off, you know, the innovation center thing, you know, the corporate acceleration here in Africa. It's very common, of course, in the States, it's more common in Europe. But how do we change that landscape and encourage more CEOs like yourself um, to, to go down that road and really appreciate what it takes to, to get the results and the impact? Well, I, I think uh, for once, you know, as I mentioned earlier in my opening remarks, mentorship is very, very important. And uh, there are also, you know, uh, small entity companies that do not have the wherewithal to be able to approach and tap, you know, a big, you know, ideas sure. like this, because they set their visions very low. And mentorship is what is going to allow them to be able to see a broader picture and also prepare themselves for it. If you look at a lot of small you know, SMEs, for example, some of them, you know, basic, basic bookkeeping is something that is a major problem. So if large corporations like ourselves, you know, be able to mentoring and then engaging these and helping them do things like that, they can present themselves well and therefore they could be able to attract, you know, the funding that they need to be able to help them scale up. If they don't have, you know, the right governance, no one wants to do anything with them. And therefore, that also becomes a major issue that we can also help with that. So all those together. And then also, we also have to engage them as well and try to include them in our supply chain, SMEs. Because yeah. if we don't include them in our supply chain, then they feel that they're working in a silo, they don't get the exposure and they cannot scale up. Include them in supply chain and also help them. For example, when large corporations are working with small entities, we tend to dictate everything. Right, For example, the power, the seriously, power, the power yes, there, yeah. they, have, they have limited funds that they're using to run their small organizations, and then they will supply something to a large corporation, and then we said, we will pay you in 90 days. This, you know, individual might have gone to borrow money, paying hefty, you know, percent, you know, interest and all of it. If we can help, you know, squeeze the, all those are things that we have to do together as a package to be able to help these entities to help them, you know, scale up and tap into the, uh, you know, enormous resources that are out there to help them grow exponentially. So how do we get more African CEOs to, to you know, get into this space? The Tony Lumalus of this world, you know, KLC is obviously a black ship now. How do we, how do we encourage more of that? Honestly, you know that in today's world, everybody, you know, our industry, for example, everybody is being measured on their ESG, you know, environment, yeah. you know, social, yes, governance. and then governance. Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we make it a requirement for all of us to be able to grab a handful in this environment, to be able to do that. And if that becomes part of the uh, KPIs that we measure all these companies that are, you know, embracing yeah. ESG, I really think it will be a major step. And therefore, but we need a serious advocacy to make sure that that is being done. And then, of course, you know, have some transparency, you know, in what we're doing to be able to ensure that, we're not just cooking the books, but rather actually doing stuff that is making impact. Right, so right. it could be part of the ESG you know, agenda that all of us have. Right, right. Thank you. So, Gary, you're an entrepreneur now. You've left Waira. You've set up The Nest. Tell us more about your, your mission to kind of give better access to entre entrepreneurship education services. Yeah. No, I mean, so I think that the thing I saw after being at Wire for at the end eight years is that there's a kind of fundamental kind of contradiction in the accelerator and investor model, right? It really is looking for outliers and it basically says the rest be damned. Um, so 
even if you become like, you know, even if you get invested via venture, via venture capitalist, the venture capitalist is assuming that in a portfolio of let's say 10 companies, nine of them are gonna be garbage and they're really only focusing yeah. on the one. And that's after they've rejected like 3000 companies per year or whatever in order to kind of build a portfolio. So what you have is a lot of kind of like roadkill, but the roadkill is basically like entrepreneurs who had dreams about kind of creating companies. And I guess if we can kind of help them then maybe that's where we can add some value. So I think um, that's kind of the fundamental premise of the nest which is that like there needs to be a model of venture capital and innovation that's actually scalable itself. It's really wonderful to talk about founders becoming, finding scalable ventures, but the people who are helping them should also be uh, scalable, right? And they should find a way to scale the support that they can offer. And right. they should be tech enabled or technological as well. Um, and thirdly, they should actually know what they're talking about, right? I think that's <laughs> the fundamental thing. That Broken, uh, <laughs> right? That you have a lot of people, like I always say, you know, I went to law school. I mean, I had to, study for three years, right? It was hard. And then I was like a junior lawyer. So I had to kind of like learn from senior lawyers, like how to do something. My sister's a doctor. She had to do something. It was even more intense. You know, you have to go through residency. Business, people seem to think that you can just kind of jump into something where you're going to put your life and your family's livelihood at risk without any sort of education whatsoever, or even any sort of support. And I think the fundamental premise of the nest is that that's probably a broken model and that we can use technology to fix it. And the way we're doing that is we kind of looked at like, what are the two things that are best in class uh, in terms of helping entrepreneurs? We thought that masterclass, sorry, uh, Y Combinator is really great from a content point of view. But, you know, I was listening to Michael Seibold speak yesterday and he was saying they've had 25, they've invested in 2,500 companies over the course of the last 15 years. That's 150 companies a year, which sounds like a lot. But in the grand scheme of the world, it's actually very, very little. Can we get access to that same quality of entrepreneurial education, but not limited to 150 people a year? Um, that's kind of one of the premises. And then can we make it not boring? So we looked at like masterclass in the US and we're like, you know, because most people, if it's kind of boring, they'll listen to it for the first five to 10 minutes and then they'll go watch Netflix or do something else. Uh, so can we also make the, the educational element of it kind of entertaining? Um, and thirdly, can we actually make it look like the rest of the world? So can we make it not just be about a, one, a bunch of white guys in Silicon Valley telling their stories, but can we also add the stories of, black and brown and female people who right now are mostly excluded. In the US, which is about like 13% black, black founders get like less than 1% of venture capital funding. Women who are about 52% of the population only get about 2% of the funding. So the vast majority is going to a very small group of people, white men, and not just white men, but white men who've been to Harvard, Stanford, and a few schools. And maybe and Yale too. We're trying well, yeah, maybe. Yale's good. Well, my son goes to Harvard, so I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that's the thing, though. It's like you go to these schools so that you can kind of get in, get a foot in the door. Even then, the foot, you know, you're not guaranteed anything. Right. But if you don't even have that, then it becomes really difficult. So what the Nest does is we focus on three different pillars. We think that the first thing is that entrepreneurship has become really mystified and there's been a, a vernacular, a language created to kind of obstruct really simple concepts. Customer acquisition, can I get someone in the door? Customer lifetime value, can I get them to, be, to stay a customer over a long period of time? All these other fancy terms that just mean really simple things. The first thing is to kind of 
demystify it by having people who've been there and done that explain it in really simple terms. Uh, some of the people that we've had, for example, speak on our website so far are people like Stacey Abrams, who's considered to be a vice presidential candidate, yeah. and Vojkiki, who is the founder of 23andMe, also the ex-wife of Sergey Brin, um, you know, the co-founder of Google. So she can talk about both kind of being there in the early days of Google, as well as mm -hmm. building up her own company and people like that. And then the second phase that we're trying to do is to actually add mentorship. Um, and we're saying, well, basically, can we get like a, a list of people who are actually really, really good at what they do? And can we kind of give um, entrepreneurs access to those people uh, in a kind of like digitally? So that's the second phase, because right now you may need help in your business, but you don't always know who to go to. And you might go to someone and it might be someone, again, that doesn't know what they're talking about. And then the last bit is access to capital. Can we, again, use a digital platform to essentially matchmake investors who need to focus on particular verticals or particular stages of maturity with startups that fit that categorization uh, based on the threshold that the community has to be to one to vote uh, the best startups. So that's basically what we're building. We have partnerships already with, uh, I think, Howard University. We're in the, the um, middle of kind of closing that deal. The University of East London, we've already done talking to Yale, of course. Um, and we're closing deals with uh, organizations like WeWork, uh, talking to Google, talking to Microsoft. So yeah, that's kind of like uh, what we're up to. Excellent. Thanks so much, Gary. So in closing, we're, we're wrapping up now, but Gary, um, what would be your advice to a CEO considering getting into this space and supporting like a large corporate CEO, get into this space and supporting SMEs? What would be your, your kind of three points of advice to, to such a person? So I would say, first of all, we have to make sure if we're talking about SMEs or we're talking about what people now define as startups, which are SMEs as well, but a subset, right? Are you talking about high growth companies that you expect to be some sort of uh, engine for innovation in your business? Then you'll treat it a certain way. Yeah. And if you're treating with SMEs, then why are you doing it? I think the key that I learned at corporates is you have to be able to explain to them how it's going to move the bottom line, right? If it doesn't change the bottom line at all, corporates aren't really that interested other right. than as... CSR or charity. Exactly. I think that for this to really work, you have to kind of explain to the corporate and make them believe that it's not charity, it's actually business. That mm -hmm. putting, getting them closer to innovation will make them um, able to withstand the Facebooks and the Amazons of the world, which are coming for them. Because there's probably no vertical in the world that's not going to be disrupted. The corporates that kind of think that they can just sit on their hands and that nothing is going to change are the ones that are going to die anyway. And maybe one means of kind of accessing innovations by working with startups. But you have to make them believe that they can access really good startups that are going to give them a chance to survive and make more money. If you don't give them that belief, then it's just um, charity and over time it will dissipate. Okay. Jim, Mesa, same, same question to you. What would you say to your compatriots? Well, I mean, I would tell them to embrace it. And as I said earlier, ESG is going to be a major, major measurement for every corporation. And whether we like it or not, we have to wake up to it. Right. And uh, as you know, Jerry said, you know, technology is one of the few things in the world today that's getting cheap over time. And technology is allowing us to be able to connect and work effectively. So this collaboration that all of us, you know, are embracing, you know, every corporation has to do that. And, and, and also, we shouldn't look at this as CSI or charity. Right. If we continue to do that, then we are wasting our time. It's not going to amount to anything. But if you do, so just like we have done with KIC here, we have line of sight of what is happening in the space, and we can actually see the impact that is happening. 
Even though we might sit here and say that, yes, we have only trained about you know, 500 people as entrepreneurs, but they touch you know, points that they have had over the period once in thousands. And, and that's how we can effect positive change. And if you create the right environment and the right change around your business, there's a lot of benefit that comes out of it because now, you know, you might not see it today, but they can create some loyalty for you. And it can also put you on a different pedestal when you compare it to your peers. So that is something that every CEO out there should embrace and help us all scale up, you know, this space and uh, get entrepreneurs to help change things for us. Thanks so much. We, we actually have uh, Ben on the line, who is your, your Cosmos Innovation Center manager or director. Um, and and I, I remember Ben sharing a story with me about how, because I'm lucky to, uh, enough to have mentored some of your, your um, entrepreneurs over the years. And he, he, you know, he told us about how they've actually been on boot camps, military boot camps, just yeah, to yeah. Team, you know, build a team and, you know, um, you know, just strip down some of the maybe bad habits and cultural baggage to then build them up as entrepreneurs. Yes. So I have really admired the way that KRC has really gone into understanding the psyche of the entrepreneurs and, and the, the target market to really figure out how you can create the next generation of uh, uh, high yeah. growth uh, entrepreneurs. So it helps you with discipline and the fact that it's hard work. So if you're disciplined and hardworking, you will be successful. You've got a good chance. And, and yeah. once you're successful, everybody wants to be your friend, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. But we're, we're so grateful to have you both on, Gary and uh, Joe. And we look forward to working in partnership with you to, to kind of achieve the bigger mission um, in, in the near future. So thank you so much for your time and for, for supporting Scale Up Africa. And uh, we'll definitely be, be in touch. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.